0: When you love someone, seeing them struggle with their mental health can be one of the hardest things in the world, especially when you know they need help, but don't know where to turn. That's why 988-LIFELINE is here. 988's trained crisis counselors are available 24-7 by phone or text to provide you with the resources and support you need to help the people you love. No one should have to struggle alone. Call or text 988-SUICIDE-AND-CRISIS-LIFELINE day or night, 988-HOPE. Has a new number.
1: What's up, everyone? Welcome back. Another episode of the New Evangelicals Podcast, kind of like an emergency episode in a way. So, this will be a unique episode because I'm going to be doing a review and a response more response than review of Ali Stuckey's um, episode number 146, What Exactly is Biblical Justice? So let me give you the quick backstory, and then we're going to hop right into this video. So a few weeks ago now, I posted um, a question on my Instagram asking, can someone please tell me what the phrase social justice is not biblical justice actually means. I got a lot of responses, but one of the um, most prominent responses was this episode by Allie Stuckey. In fact, Allie Stuckey herself saw this, put a story up on her Instagram and said, I have an episode about this and she recommended this episode. So I figured that I would interview Allie in a way by responding to her video and going through it together with you guys to give my thoughts That being said, a couple quick things. Number one, this is not about dehumanizing Allie. She is made in God's image um, and should be treated as such. I think it's good, though, to have dialogue. Now, I have reached out to Allie several times saying, Hey, do you want to come on my show or I can come on your show? Would love to talk to you about deconstructing, about some of these issues. And social justice really fits into that. I have not heard back yet. Um, We've chatted a little bit in the DMs. She's been super nice, super friendly. But I have not heard back yet as far as getting time together. So... That being said, listen, Allie's busy. She runs a very large conservative platform. So it's this is not about me saying, well, she wouldn't respond. Therefore, I'm going to do this. This is more about me saying, while I'm waiting for her to get back to me, I do want to at least give you guys out there my thoughts on some of Allie's uh, – Allie's points on this episode. That being said too, this was recorded two years ago. So maybe Allie has changed some of her perspectives, but I think it's important that as Jesus people, we kind of go through it together and uh, I respond. So this might be a longer episode. I'll do my best to be uh, succinct and clear, but there's a lot to get to. So we'll start from the beginning And here we go. Oh, one more thing. If you see me looking this way, I have a a different monitor here. I'm typing out notes um, as we go along, so I don't forget anything. All right, Allie, let's hear what you got to say.
0: What's up, guys? Welcome to Relatable. Thank you, guys, for tuning in. Today, we are going to talk about justice and how Christians should view justice from a biblical perspective. Uh, We've talked about...
1: I know I'm stopping early. Just keep in mind that the term or that phrase, biblical perspective, it's a loaded one. And for Allie, what I think that means is my interpretation or the conservative lens I've been taught to interpret the Bible through is my version of biblical. So it's important not to get too confused here. That term biblical can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. Keep that in mind
0: this subject a lot. We've talked about the difference between secular social justice and what the Bible has to say about justice. This seems to be a theme that kind of weaves itself through a lot of the different things that we talk about. We've talked about this when we talk about socialism, when we talk about the different things that are happening in the news cycle when it comes to intersectionality, even uh, how the news handles uh, different kinds of people and how they report on different kinds of people, how they see what is just and what is not.
1: Just want to point out already some interesting things. You know, biblical justice, whatever she means by that, the Bible doesn't really talk about socialism or the media. So we're already kind of inferring that the Bible maybe has a lot to say about those things, and maybe it does indirectly, but certainly not directly. So to make the correlation that we can look at the Bible and draw clear parallels to socialism or to um, the media or intersectionality maybe isn't as close as we think it is.
0: And so the question is, do we hold ourselves as Christians to that standard of justice, whatever that is, and that's what we'll talk about, or to a biblical standard of justice, and what is the difference? And really, one of the big questions is, uh, should Christians care about justice? Should conservative Christians care about justice? There are a lot of people who think that justice is a term that has been completely monopolized by the left, and when someone says justice, We might even kind of turn our brains off just a little bit because we think that they're going to come up with some leftist intersectional argument that we don't agree with.
1: Fair point. There are terms that I would say both political parties have hijacked. Um, For conservatives, it's freedom or tyranny or pro-life, right? And I think on the left with liberals, justice is one of those terms that they've really taken the corner on for a lot of reasons. And I think Ali's pointing that out here. I think it's a very fair point to make.
0: Or when people talk about equity, or people talk about equality, people talk about love, inclusion—all of these universally positive terms yeah. that have um, been associated, especially in recent years, to progressivism or to leftism. And so, a lot of times, conservatives will push away from those things and say, "Oh, well, no, we're we're not for that." But really, what it should make us do when we hear someone say, "I'm for justice," "I'm for equality," We should ask the question, what do you mean by that?
1: That's a fair question. What do you mean by that? I just want to comment very briefly. She mentioned how progressives have been using those terms, equality and justice. And that's because progressives have been pushing for equality among more people groups than conservatives have. I mean— off the top of my head the lgbtq issue right uh gay marriage as it was called that's an easy one to look at how conservatives were actively opposed to america to the state sanctioning those kinds of marriages um while people on the left were saying no to treat all people equally in a society that should be a right afforded to them
0: Uh, You'll probably notice with a lot of people who I consider on the social justice left, and we'll talk about kind of what social justice means to a variety of people, that they refuse to define their terms. So they very rarely will tell you what they mean by equality or equity or even reparations or justice. Uh, A lot of times, literally, the answer that you will get if you're engaging with someone online is, Uh, Google it or Google is your friend and they act very put out or exhausted by the task of having to actually inform you what they're talking about. But
1: just want to point out online that happens with all kinds of people, not just liberals. We all agree and know that the comment section um, under social media accounts almost never change anyone but yes i mean it can be exhausting pointing to resources of people uh, that have spoken on these topics at great at great length only to be told either i won't listen to them or no that's marxism or no that's socialism or no that's not biblical so it is kind of a moment where it's like well there are people who have explained these things and you can listen to them or you can say people on the internet won't give me I guess, good enough definitions for me to take them seriously, which to me is like, it's the internet. No one in the comment section is really there to have their minds changed, right?
0: In any kind of good faith discussion, any kind of debate or dialogue that we're having about a subject that is uh, as important as justice or equality, we need to be able to define our terms. We need to be able to get on the same page. Mm -hmm. So when someone that you are engaging with uses a word like justice or equality, uh, it is perfectly acceptable for you to ask what someone means by that. Now, you might get a very defensive response, but that will reveal to you right away that they don't have that much of an argument.
1: And that goes both ways, right? I mean, you out there, you guys have seen my interview with Samuel Duth about the, the anti-mask pastor, right? And when I pushed him on some of his arguments, there wasn't much there. Like, what, how do you define tyranny? How do you define freedom? So I agree with Allie on this. I mean, completely. We, we have to be able to define terms and have a, a good faith conversation. That's how humanity pushes forward is by having open dialogue.
0: As what we see a lot is that people use these uh, terms that they know are supposed to be, like I said, universally positive. If you are against equality, if you are against justice, if you are against uh, progress or love or inclusion, then of course you're a bad person. You're on the wrong side of history. But you don't get to just use these terms and apply them to whatever you want to apply them to, and then say people who uh, disagree with your application of these positive terms must be bad people. No, I'm going to push you a little bit further than that, and I'm going to make you answer for the terms that you're giving me. I'm not just going to take your definition of justice. We need to agree on what justice looks like.
1: I want to point out two things here. Number one, um, when you tell us or when you tell people that, you know, LGBTQ people shouldn't have the same uh, marital rights in in a free and open society. That is problematic. That we have to we have to reckon with. And number two, I find it interesting that we're going from the beginning of this conversation, which pretty which ali said we have to look at the biblical definition, and now the argument is, well, we have to agree on a definition. That just kind of points out that when it comes to that idea of like, oh, it's absolute, it's black and white, it's super clear. It's really not. A lot of these terms are debated, right? A lot of these terms we're trying to understand. And people who define them, a lot of times what people like Ali will do is say, well, we don't accept that definition and we will now redefine however that word's been used historically to paint our own picture of social justice or whatever else it is. And that's important to recognize here. We're already starting to intermingle the the language of biblical now with like societal definitions. So make sure you, you, you watch that.
0: And thankfully for Christians, we have one standard of justice, and that is the standard of justice that God gives us. Now,
1: So there it is, right? We have to agree on the definition, and that definition we have to agree on is our definition of, of what we think the Bible says is biblical justice.
0: How that manifests itself, we might disagree on that. But at the end of the day, as Christians, we okay. go back to the word of God as an errant, and as our source of truth, as our source of wisdom, and Jesus Christ is our source of righteousness.
1: So we can disagree, but at the same time, the Bible is inerrant, meaning it's perfect, it's, it's, it's God, it, there, there's no flaws in it, right? We read it on the surface, and it's very clear, that kind of logic, yet we can also disagree. So even Allie admits that her perspective that she's going to present is really a perspective, and that's fine. I, I'm, we all have our perspectives. I'm not saying Ali can't have a perspective, but let's not masquerade it under the pretense of this is absolute truth. Let's call it what it is. This is Ali's perspective of what the Bible says when it comes to social justice.
0: And so through him, we can um, we can credibly discern what is righteous and what is not, what is right and what is wrong. Uh, we don't do this based on our feelings. We don't do this based on what society tells us is just or unjust. Uh, we do this based on God's word. And so uh, before we get into what exactly God's word says about that, let's set this up. Let's get a little bit of context.
1: So no feelings, just God's word. Again, we're really setting—I feel like Allie's setting herself up for failure here because to make it seem like the Bible is crystal clear and black and white, we know at this point right, in our faith journey is not really the full picture. And I just feel like when Allie starts defining these terms, she's going to get into her own— Uh, She's going to fall into her own trap of trying to sound like she's being objective and not emotional or not having feelings involved. But you're a human being. We all have feelings involved. We all see things through a certain bias. It's okay to admit that, but let's not pretend that somehow someone else is above that and we're just objective. Our brains are not wired to be that way.
0: So like I said, uh, a lot of times justice is a term that is used by the left and that we on the right associate with people on the left. Uh, We equate the term justice with being liberal, but of course that is not true. Liberty and justice for all is a term that the founding fathers obviously held sacred, uh, and it's an idea that is really founded in the Bible.
1: Two things about that. Number one, liberty and justice for all, (laughs) <laughs> we know from, from history, the founders meant that for white men. Okay, we know that we know that that wasn't meant for indigenous people, was not meant for black Americans. It was not meant for women. It was primarily designed for white men. And through civil rights and, dare I say, social justice movements, we actually held the founders accountable to their own words. But let's not pretend that the founders from day one were like, we just want a free and equitable society for every kind of human, for all of humanity. No, no. no. It was primarily for white men. Uh,
0: That people should be free from the oppression of tyranny or extortion or oppression in any way, and that they should be uh, treated justly. And when I say uh, oppression in any way, I'm talking primarily what the founders meant, of course, uh, by the government.
1: Okay, we got to pause here. And there's gonna be a lot of these friends. So hang in there. But I would agree that, of course, oppression from the government is bad, right? I mean, we we have seen this in history. We've seen the government support slavery, support segregation, support genocide. We've seen that. So, yes, 100%. But also, we can expand that to include corporations and other systems that are made by people that also oppress people. That's a very biblical concept. I mean, we can see it all throughout the Bible of systems, all kinds of systems that oppress humans. So I agree with Allie, but I feel like she has to throw in the government like line to make sure that her base knows she's coming at this from a conservative point of view and not just from, you know, um, maybe leave it up to your own interpretation.
0: Uh, As Christians, we should care about justice. Of course, we should care about justice. We should care that all people are treated equitably. We should care that they're treated equally in the eyes of the law, that no one is being discriminated against by the law because of some kind of immutable characteristic, something that they can't control, that uh, the poor are not being exploited, that criminals are being punished, that the innocent are being exonerated, uh, that victims are being listened to, that they are being cared for. We should care about the truth. Uh therefore we should care about integrity in our leaders in our courts in our businesses we should care about the abuse of power we should care about uh, people being treated uh, with decency with respect that they are treated as creatures made in the image of god okay these yes. are things that christians should of course care about Yes. I personally, some people just with different kinds of personalities that you have and different towards uh, different kinds of upbringings that you have, have different propensities towards something. I have always been someone who has been very uh, concerned with fairness. I have always hated bullies. If there's anything that gets me more. (laughs) uh,
1: I'm sorry. Did you just say you don't like bullies yet? You're a major Trump supporter. I mean, Allie, we we you can see that problem, right? You're telling me that you don't like bullies. Yet you have voted for and have supported someone who was a complete bully. I'll leave that right there.
0: There's anything that gets me angry or makes me upset or will, you know, just get me riled up, as we say in the South. uh, It is a bully. It is someone that abuses their power. It is someone who, in my opinion, is so insecure and is so small and so not confident in themselves and their own strengths that they have to uh, manipulate or take advantage of someone who is smaller than them. I loathe a bully. Okay. Who
1: did you just describe? Who? Insecure, belittles people, bullies people, manipulates. I mean, Allie, come on. Do I need to spell it out for you? You... Who did you just describe in our political system that is the one of the greatest bullies of all time and also one of the most insecure? Come on.
0: I loathe bullying. I will always say something about that. I don't care if it's a partisan issue. I, I don't care. I loathe bullies I loathe abuse. Most people loathe abuse. I'm not patting myself on the back for that. Uh, But I hate when the disadvantaged or when the small person or when the weak person or when the vulnerable person, the person who is helpless, defenseless, cannot do anything for themselves when they are taken advantage of. I hate it. I have no tolerance for these kinds of people and these kinds of actions whatsoever. And I have always been that way.
1: I agree with you. You and I agree. I agree. So it is interesting to me how you have some of the positions that you have. I mean, yes the government has been responsible for that right at times and we should hold that ac- hold the government accountable of course but corporations transnational corporations that keep wages intentionally low while making tons of money off of a working class that would also be part of what you're talking about that's a valid concern people being discriminated against and treated differently because of the color of their, of their skin or of their gender that is something we should be talking about so you and i agree i i'm interested to hear where we're going with this.
0: Um, and as God's people, we are all called to be intolerant uh, towards these people. We are not to yes. have tolerance for people in positions of power who lie, <sighs> who exploit, who oppress. Uh, Proverbs eight thirteen says the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Mm-hmm. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Okay. Pastor. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech. I hate.
1: Yes. Hi. <laughs> yes, okay, keep going.
0: So we are called to hate these things, not only in the lives of other people, not only in the systems that are around us, but also systems. in our own lives. Micah six yes. eight. Uh, a lot of you probably know this first. To do, we are called to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Uh, this is uh, this means that God is just, that He loves kindness, that He calls us to walk humbly with Him. Uh, nice. He has always been just. He has always expected and will always expect His people to act justly, to love justice, and to execute justice. Um
1: Okay. I mean, Allie, in my opinion, presented a very both-and approach. She mentioned the individual and the system. She mentioned how oppression is not a God-ordained thing, how Christians should stand against that. She's mentioned how oppression of people should be fought against. Yes. And let's take the political aspect out of it for a second as jesus people i would totally this is something i would say on my account so i agree i agree we should be looking at the systemic and at the individual and and as jesus people advocating for how we can make society a more just and equitable society so people can flourish i am with you
0: oh here listening to all of that you might have thought well you sound like a liberal. This is a lot of what liberals say and liberals might hear what I just uh, just said and say, great, okay, me too. Slap if you care about the these liberal. things, if you care about the least of these, the way that you just said, if you care about the poor and marginalized way that you just said, uh, then you have to believe in liberal policies. You have to believe in big government. Uh, you have to believe in all of the leftist government programs meant to combat poverty and uplift those on the bottom.
1: Okay, two things. Number one, The big government... The idea that the left wants big government and the right doesn't is a myth, okay? The right has expanded government. Conservatives have expanded government. Uh, Bush has expanded the government. Trump expanded the government and government spending. Uh, They want bigger military. The left wants more social programs. Let's not pretend that, like, one side's like, we just want a small government. And the other side's like, no, we want a big, tyrannical government taking over America, making you all robots. That is just hyperbole, completely. Both sides want... Um, more government 100 percent
0: you have to buy into our version the so-called progressive version of justice which of course today is labeled a uh, social justice but this this i do not believe and i certainly don't have to believe in in fact because i believe in the bible i cannot believe that
1: what an interesting statement because you don't believe in the bible you can't believe in social justice i mean have you read like the levitical laws i mean some of them demand every seven years all debts getting erased have you read about the Acts church that held all things in common essentially was a commune i'm just saying like i'm not what i'm not saying is We should take those verses and apply them, right, like uh, to a government, because I believe in context and the historical culture. And you know, I believe that the Bible isn't a book that we just take Bible verses and paste onto it. But I'm just making the point that even even if you don't see it that way, someone could make the case for how the Bible does lay out in parts of its story, you know, systems and policies that certainly take care of the poor and the needy and the orphan and widow among us uh, through both a government approach and both through a, uh, like a church approach.
0: Uh, the form of justice that we often see, not always, but often in many cases coming from the left and leftist uh, so-called progressive Christians, uh, we see is not based on truth uh. and it also squashes freedom. I think- uh, so here's what I mean. Yeah. A lot of people we've talked about this many times. A lot of people on the left view justice as equality of outcome, not equality uh, of opportunity, but equality of outcome. This.
1: I don't think that's true because most people are just asking for a level playing field. We want equity, which means, which means people of all different races and sexes and genders and all that stuff have an equal playing field to at least start from. Um, we realize and i don 't and I hate to say weeks i don't really identify as a liberal, but i 'm not aware as of this recording um prominent liberals who are saying everyone needs to have the same exact outcome. what we are saying what people are saying is when people when the outcome is so when the gap is so wide for these outcomes, meaning so many people are living in, in basically poverty and poverty wages while um, an elite class is ruling, that's problematic. And that should be a little more leveled out, a little more. Keep that in mind. I, I don't know anyone who's saying everyone in America has to make, you know, Fifty grand a year and no more, no less. I think what people are saying is the gap is so wide that it's not just how this is happening. And people who are ultra rich are not earning that money ethically. They're doing it off the backs of an entire working class while paying them almost, you know, a very, a very small wage comparatively.
0: It's something that I uh, go in depth in on uh, the socialism episode. So I won't go too in depth here, but. Basically, these people who see equality of outcome as a as a just thing, as a necessary thing, they see injustice everywhere they see discrepancy, everywhere they see okay. uh, difference. So you will often hear them talk about the gender wage gap for Mm -hmm. example, as a form of injustice or the wealth gap between whites and the black community as a form of injustice or acceptance rates into a college of certain minorities that may be lower than white people or Asian people, um, you'll hear them say that is injustice or the fact that even graduation rates that are different between different uh, races might be a symbol of injustice. They will look at these discrepancies and automatically see that something is unfair, that those at the top are disadvantaged, and that uh, this is a sign of systemic injustice but the reality is the reality is is that these are not always signs of systemic injustice they could be they could be in some cases but
1: right so the study is could they be so let's put it this way right if we know that black people and white people are genetically the same meaning there's there is no there is no advantage to being white versus black or black versus white and we have a society where Black Americans have about a tenth of the wealth of white Americans. Well, we know it's not based on like a biological disadvantage, right? Like we're equal, and so we have to ask: Well, are there are then are there systems in place that are 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 causing or who are ex, uh, that are exaggerating right these discrepancies? So, like for example, you know, I, I'm trying to to paint a picture of like clearly if we're equal and. Some people are, are not graduating at nearly as high of a rate as as other people, we should look and see what are there systems at play and what are the other factors that are causing that? Is there a wage factor? Is there a quality of life factor? Is there a location factor? Is there a school factor? What are the factors that go into that? That's what the study is doing. And a lot of these studies have concluded that there are systemic problems that have been in place or that have been in place and now maybe are removed, but still have a huge ripple effect that are causing these disparities
0: discrepancies in success or wealth or acceptance into college does not it does not necessarily or automatically point to bias or a lack of fairness that is lazy thinking it
1: uh-huh. might
0: very well have to do with choices uh, here we with go. circumstances that are actually within the control of the people who are at the bottom
1: see this is very in my view and i don't think ali means it this way this is very elitist thinking so everything is a choice, right, from the conservative viewpoint. So ha- what you're born into is a choice. The family you're given is a choice. The societal, like, s- culture that you're in is a choice. And so we all know that isn't true. And I, don't think what, I think what has happened here is that conservatives look at some of these things in like a vacuum. Like, oh, if you just work hard and, and play the game, you'll definitely have a good outcome. And what people are saying is actually people who are born into poverty – almost never escape it. Like, you know, um, statistically speaking, people who are born into a place, into a a family where where their father has been incarcerated on bogus drug charges, actually that really affects their decisions later on down the road. And so how can we fault someone for growing up in that kind of an environment and having an outcome that we all know is most likely going to happen? And then what happens is we celebrate the exceptions to that rule and then make that the rule. Like, oh, well, if, if one person did it, why can't everyone did it? I, I do it. That to me is what's lazy thinking, right? Instead of looking at, at how the culture can influence how how the amount of money you have access to uh, has has a major influence on your outcome. Instead, we go, well, it's just your choice. It's your choice to stay that way. That to me is lazy thinking.
0: Um, in a leftist view of fairness and justice, they very rarely see those at the bottom, those who are poor, whatever disadvantage. Um as As products of choices that someone made, uh they rather see them usually as victims of yes. a situation that is beyond their control, placed yes. there by oppressors who are in power.
1: That's correct. Most people, dare I say all who are in poverty don't want to be in poverty, okay? Most people who are born into high drug areas. Would prefer not to be in those areas. So it's not like people are like, you know what, guys? I'm just comfortable being in debt up to my eyeballs and working at McDonald's for twelve bucks an hour. Um, you know, and, and taking care of a family of four. That I want to do that. That's my choice. No, people who don't want to be there. So that we have to look at the systems that funnel people in to different parts of life where they are essentially their labor is extracted and benefits a top elite class while those people stay in that in in those poverty situations, along with debt, along with all other kinds of factors.
0: And so how they typically view things uh, is we need to give more to those at the bottom. And simultaneously, we need to push down those that we see at the top so everyone ends up being at the same place. Uh, this, uh, an example of this is affirmative action. You accept people of a certain race at the expense of another race. Wealth redistribution. You take wealth from people at the top, you give it to people at the bottom.
1: I want to point out something. I, I'm not sure if Allie knows this. The top 50 richest Americans own as much wealth as the bottom 50% of Americans. That is not a matter of like, oh, someone has a small business that makes more money than someone else's, or someone whatever, you know, like has has more money. We're not talking about that. That gap, that delta is is incredible. I mean, that's that's not that's an amount that is so big that fifty people actually have a major influence over the economic status and level of people that have no control over that so we're not talking about you know taking someone who makes like a million dollars a year and saying give us all your money and now make eighty thousand dollars we're talking about looking at like the the richest people in america who are literally hoarding wealth sucking up like a vacuum off of the backs of labor don't forget that and saying even if we cut your hundred billion and half to 50 billion, you would still be a multi-billionaire with enough money to do whatever you wanted. So that's different than saying, like I said, you know, oh, you make a hundred grand, that's too much. We're not talking about that. We're talking about people who are making incredible amounts of money, not from their own labor, but from the labor of others.
0: It's an attempt, they say, to level the playing field, but it's really not even that. It's an attempt to accomplish equal outcomes. And even playing fields is uh, equal opportunity uh, where those who are better players are still going to win. But that is not really what a lot of leftists want, especially this social justice left. Uh, they
1: Got to stop it here again. I think, uh, to use an analogy... We're, here's, here, here's what we're saying, okay? What I'm saying is that if this is a sports game, if we're playing basketball, one team is cheating. One team is, has stacked the game against another team and is destroying them. It's like 500,000 points to one, okay? And what we're saying is, hey, there should be referees here that are actually repping this to give us all the same playing field so we can actually actually compete fairly, all right. That's what we're saying here. And what I'm saying is that in America, corporate transnational companies have really written the policies of our government to benefit them via tax, tax codes and labor codes and everything else. And at, at the expense of an entire working class. And that is like you said earlier, Ali. It's not just it's oppressive. It's it's an issue. And as Christians, we should be staunchly against that.
0: Everyone to quote uh, win no matter what. So to do that, to accomplish that, you have to discriminate against. If we're using the metaphor of a playing field, the better players, you have to. Um, you
1: ha- no, you don't. You just have to ask for referees to ref the game fairly. That's how this works. LeBron James still gets called for fouls, right? What we're saying is, please ref LeBron James. Please ref the best player on the team fairly. If he's great, he's great, right? If he if he outscores me, that's fine. But if he outscores me a million to one, there's clearly a problem.
0: To discriminate against those who you deem are privileged Deemed. or who already have, in your opinion, uh, too much.
1: Yeah, this is another thing I hear a lot. It's like, well, what's too much in your opinion? Well, I would say when you have enough wealth of like the bottom 50% of Americans, probably too much wealth. I mean, that that is what government does, right? That's what laws do. Laws set boundaries. And what we're saying is the boundary that's set is not a boundary at all. And again, does not give people a fair shot at having just a, a – forget rich, just like a solid, comfortable – existence in the world's richest country there's no reason we should have poverty in the world's richest country we own 30 percent of the wealth in the world with only 8 percent of the world's population there's no reason to have people going hungry because um you know in in a country that has that kind of wealth unless of course an elite class is literally hoarding it
0: um Thomas Sowell calls this cosmic justice in his book that I highly recommend, A Quest for Cosmic Justice. He describes what leftists call social justice as cosmic justice, because it is based not on any real, tangible calculations of determining who deserves what or who is in the wrong, but on uh, some intangible, uh, cosmic, uh, subjective calculations of pushing one side down and lifting the other up in the hopes that...
1: Uh, She said a second ago, you know, it's like there's no standard, you know, um, with with this cosmic justice. Well, when Amazon pays nothing in taxes, that's a good standard of like, that's wrong, right? I mean, when Jeff Bezos pays nothing in taxes, that's another good example of something is wrong. When I pay more in taxes than someone who owns literally almost a billion times my wealth or more, that would be problematic, I would think. Just pointing that out.
0: This will create equal outcome. Uh, An example of what he gives of this is, uh, so say you have a pizza place, and the pizza place decides that they're not going to deliver to a particular neighborhood because the neighborhood is dangerous, and delivering a pizza there offers a high risk to your employees. Well... Say, an activist group hears about this. They decide that that's racist, that's unjust, and they say, uh, you can't discriminate against people in this neighborhood. So they organize a boycott and say, you have to deliver to people in this neighborhood. And they say, this is justice, this is fair, this is equality, Uh, because this neighborhood is now being treated like everyone else once you give in to the pressures of our boycott. But okay. What is the other side of this equation? What is the other side of this so-called justice? So now the pizza place, say they cave into this pressure, the boycott was too much in order to stay open. They said, okay, fine. The pizza place says we're going to deliver to this unsafe neighborhood at the risk uh, to the employees. And because of this risk, this owner of this pizza place, say it's just uh, you know his small business that he built from nothing and now is uh, somewhat lucrative. Okay, well, because of this risk, because of the risk that is being offered to my employees, that is being posed on my employees, I need to pay them more. Um, I need to pay them more to keep them here so they don't all quit, which means if I have to pay my employees more, He says, I either have to charge more for the pizza or I have to fire three employees to make ends meet. I'm going to have to cut costs somewhere in order to keep myself in this business afloat if I'm going to pay my employees more. So say he decides to charge more for pizza to do that. Not only are the people in this poor, dangerous neighborhood not going to be able to even afford the pizza, everyone else might also stop buying from his restaurant because they can get cheaper pizza everywhere. Uh... Or elsewhere and if he fires three employees he's not going to uh, be able to make as many deliveries and then all of his customer base suffers and as a result in either case uh, his business might have to close and so now the owner of the pizza shop is out of a job now all of his employees maybe they were poor teens trying to make enough money to pay for their books or even provide for their families now they don't have jobs why
1: okay Let's pause here for a second, okay? Uh, I'm just writing down some notes real quick. Uh, let's see. Okay. So a couple of things about this. First off, this is just a story, and it's a pretty crazy one. I don't know if this has ever happened before. Uh, the only, only only few points I want to make are, number one, maybe we should be asking, why is that neighborhood dangerous? Like, are the people who live there more genetically predisposed to crime? Or are there, again, systemic factors that go into making an area poorer, more than another area and therefore more dangerous so maybe we should go one level beyond just oh there's a poor dangerous neighborhood that's just that's just reality or you know that's just how life should be and ask well what systems and maybe what individuals are there making that area you know poor um and also dangerous and the other thing i want to point out is this whole analogy or this whole story, it just it just kind of tumbles into like worst case scenario. But isn't this what capitalism does? Like, Ali made the point that you know, um, if you charge more for the pizza, then other places might be able to charge less, and that place might go out of business. Yeah, that's capitalism. Isn't that what you're saying? Like, if your product if your product sucks, capitalism says you won't have a job. So, capitalism has problems, and its problems is that is that I guess if you if you can't compete the right way, essentially you could be out in the street. So you have to find a way to make enough money to survive based on competition. And the last thing I'll say, too, is I really, again, just the point that that maybe there are people out there trying to make or survive um, and, and provide for a family off of pizza delivery wages, which is a real thing, should tell us a lot about our economy and about a supposed Christian country and how they treat people who are just trying to make ends meet making poverty wages because that's what the market will allow.
0: That's the sound of me prepping the grill with Reynolds Wrap, and the sound of me not doing dishes, and the sound of me spending more time outside with my family.
1: Easy prep, cook, and clean. Make time with Reynolds Wrap.
0: I like the sound of that. All for the sake of what seemed on the surface by this activist group, this is just an example, by the way, to be the just right thing to do. But this is cosmic justice. It aims for some arbitrary goal of fairness for one group at the expense of another group.
1: Well, we have have this expense thing happening now the poor is at the expense of the ultra, ultra rich. The mass, the majority of the middle and lower class are already being discriminated against at the expense or at their expense for the rich. We all know the tax laws. We all know who writes the tax laws. We all know that transnational corporations are taking their money overseas into offshore bank accounts to avoid paying taxes. We know that. We know that they are keeping labor low, even though they're profiting billions of dollars a quarter. We know that. So th- this is already happening. So I mean do you want to call that out do you want to call out how that's discrimination do you want to call out how that's unjust how that's unethical or is the is the burden always going to be on the poor or people who are just trying to make ends meet and you know we have to celebrate these ultra rich transnational corporations because you know to use an example jeff bezos works literally a billion times harder and therefore is worth whatever he gets paid or whatever his wealth is it makes no sense
0: without even thinking about the cost (laughs) Uh, It's the same thing for raising the minimum wage or what uh, the Democratic presidential candidates are now calling living wage. It sounds really good. It sounds like you're advocating for those at the bottom who are being exploited by saying everyone deserves a living wage. And if...
1: If you work forty hours in America, you should be able to survive and and take care of a family. That's how it used to be. I'm just making the point. I mean, you know, they, conservatives talk about family values, right? W- women should primarily be at home taking care of the kids. Well, how can you do that in a society where where wages are so low? You need two people working full time just to survive. I don't know if Ali really understands that. You know, the average American is one medical bill away from really having a major debt problem on the hand most americans have some kind of debt the school loan system i mean we could be i could be here forever so i i just find it incredulous that that that, that, that she can say this
0: argue against that then in my experience i can tell you that from from experience you will be called an elitist bigot uh, they will say well why, why don't you believe that the mcdonald's uh, employee deserves to feed her kids. Why don't you believe that, Allie? Uh, they ask these really emotional questions because they don't want to deal with the logic that if you raise the minimum wage, the owner of the business is going to find a way to cut costs. So
1: So who what okay. So who's unethical in that situation? Is it the person saying, "Hey, I should be able to survive. I'm working for you. I'm working the 40 hours. I'm full-time." Please pay me a livable wage, or is it the company saying even though we make billions in profit a year, we will not pay you a livable wage? Or if we do that, we will pass it on to the consumer to keep our profit? What's unethical here? You tell me. And again, we're not talking about McDonald's is is, is not you know some local family business in 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 New Jersey where I live, right? It's a transnational corporation that that exists to make itself money. Like the corporation is not a person, Allie. It's 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 just a business. But the way that we treat corporations, it's like they're actual humans that that, 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 that that need to get paid, essentially. No, humans need to get paid. Humans should be paid their worth. Bottom line, when you have a human trading labor for wage, you should be able to make a livable wage. We're not saying rich. I'm not saying everyone should be a millionaire. I'm saying livable so you can survive in the country with a decent quality of life.
0: You can still make a profit, and by the way, there's nothing immoral about making a profit. It's actually necessary for oh the business gosh. to keep going.
1: It's immoral when it's on the expense, when it's on the backs and at the expense of cheap, dare I say the word, you know, economically uh, and and financially slave like labor in that sense, meaning you're working, you're not getting paid close to anything. All right, so I'm not comparing I'm not saying slavery in the sense of race-based child slavery, different discussion, but as far as an economic, you know, system goes, people are financially enslaved to debtors. It's, it's a problem.
0: To be worth it for this person to own this business and actually employ people. Also, very often a business owner is going to go without a profit for a long time or cut his own profits for the sake of his business, but he or she can only do that for so long because she has to feed her family.
1: I, I do want to make a point here. I, you know, there is a difference friends between a small business and a major, large, medium sized, large business. Okay. I grew up in small business and I would agree with Allie that the game is not set up towards a small business what happens is these massive corporations have written the laws to avoid taxes that then the burden gets passed on to these small businesses including ones like my parents i watched my dad work extremely hard 60 70 hours a week along with my mom to make ends meet we live comfortably for sure but make no mistake we had our own business but we were certainly not making millions of dollars a year in profit okay so i do want to make that point small business is very different than corporate national interest but we have to understand that Business it can be great. Corporations, though, are usually not that great when it comes to how they treat their people.
0: Um, so if you raise the minimum wage, you're either going to have to fire people or raise the cost of the product. Or lower, uh, either way, people are going to suffer.
1: Uh, or, or, or the business, the corporation can lower their profit margin. Just putting that out there. Why is it not a third option? That's the most ethical out of all of them. That money's going nowhere, right? It's going to an offshore banking account. It's, just, it's sitting there being hoarded to make the business bigger. It's not going necessarily to, to better salaries or even better, uh, you know, cost of uh, living raises, all, um, et cetera. Well, that's not exactly true. I, sh- I should backtrack that. They say it's cost of living increases, but they're usually minimal, minimal.
0: Soon, I guarantee you, if we raise the minimum wage, then all minimum wage jobs – like. Waiters, hostesses, whoever, uh, are going to be automated because it's going to be too expensive to uh, pay the minimum wage when the minimum wage is is raised. There is going to be no more low-skill work available, which means that low-skill workers will not have job options. Uh, So the reality is uh, the minimum wage, obviously, and this is getting a little bit off the justice point (laughs) a little bit, uh, should be set by the market.
1: No, it should not. Because we, the market hasn't raised the minimum wage in a long time. It it raised it a little bit recently because of pressure. Because of social pressure and government pressure, by the way. But make no mistake, the minimum wage should be set by the government, not by the market. Because the market's incentive is to keep wages as low as possible to maximize their profit. Make no mistake. Allie, hear me out here. Corporations do not care about their people truly. They care about their people to keep them happy enough to keep making money off of them. That's what they care about. They don't care about them as humans. They care about them as cogs in the wheel to make money
0: you pay someone as little as they're willing to do a job for. So whether that's $5 an hour exactly. or $500,000 a year. Uh, but no, it is not fair. Advocates for cosmic justice say to pay a worker at McDonald's less than you pay a secretary or less than you pay a manager, etc. So they say, make sure everyone can live off of what they get paid yes. uh, for working 40 hours a week, no matter what their job is. No,
1: That's the point of working so you can live. Let me explain something, Allie. Humans, okay, a society is not set up so people can live to work. People work so they can live. Life is not just about giving my time to another business to make them a ton of money. You have a family. I have a family. People have families. They have passions. They like life. So, yes, the point of working is so we can make money to survive, not so we can just slave away. And make someone else a ton of money while we can barely survive.
0: No matter what the cost is on the other side of the equation. The other side of the equation, like we've said, is that people suffer. Such a People weak argument. lose their jobs. Businesses close down. So no one actually wins except, except for the people in government. How? Because the people in government now have more people to care for. They can get people to pay more taxes to pay all the people who are out of jobs and
1: just want to point out, if there's less jobs in the market, there's less tax revenue coming in. You get tax on your paycheck.
0: You have to depend on welfare. So no one really, though, besides bureaucrats, wins in that situation. So that is not justice. Another example.
1: As if bureaucrats are like, ah, uh, mm, the more people on welfare, the bigger my bonus check. I mean, come
0: on of this cosmic justice that sounds good on the outside but ends up poorly for the people who are involved uh, a district attorney in dallas i think i've talked about this before on the podcast recently decided he's not going to prosecute criminals who steal items or steal something of uh less than seven hundred fifty 750 in value if it was done for the thief's economic benefit that is a real story a real thing that is happening in dallas um
1: Yeah, for two reasons. Number one, prisons are overcrowded. That's a problem. (laughs) We should look into why. Different discussion. And number two, doesn't that tell you something again about America? When this, and I read the article, you know, this prosecutor is like, I've seen people stealing just so they can eat food. That's a problem. We have the food. There's plenty to go around. We have the wealth, okay? So why people feel the need to have to steal food to eat that's the question we should be asking
0: This is done in the name of social justice in the in the name of helping the poor and the marginalized, but who does it hurt? Uh, it hurts well, I think it hurts the thief first of all because it trains you to be lazy and to be uh, dishonest that's, rather that's right. than making lazy. money:
1: It's just because you're lazy right make so here's the circle right friends Ali's saying that if you can only find a job for minimum wage 10 bucks an hour, you should stick with that. And pretty much not be able to pay to provide for your family because we know that you can't because she even said, you know, it shouldn't be guaranteed that you work 40 hours a week and can make enough a livable wage. She said that earlier, essentially. And then when you steal for food or you go on a government program, you're lazy. So it's like it's an it's a circle that has no exit in the circle is you make not enough money by working 40 hours. You're bitter and therefore you're lazy because you want a livable wage and you're entitled or you steal and you're a criminal or you go on the government welfare program because, you know, you need food and you're lazy. There's no way out
0: in a way that uh, demonstrates any kind of integrity, but it also hurts the men and women, probably even the poor men and women who are just trying to get by, who maybe own uh, their own Their own business, their own shop, and $600 or so of their property that is stolen, of their money that is stolen, is a big deal to them. That's a big deal to them. Uh, It sounds compassionate. It sounds like you're really helping those who are desperate, but you're hurting a lot of people. So social justice, as it is defined, cosmic justice, does not equal actual justice,
1: I also want to point out, I don't think that this prosecutor ever used the word social justice. This is Ali taking that term and putting it now onto this situation and saying this is what people say when they say social justice. I'm not sure who's saying that. But again, the question we should ask is, why does someone feel so desperate that they have to steal to eat in America?
0: Uh, The same thing with racial reparations, as we've talked about before, it sounds Fair to compensate those who have suffered losses from slavery. That sounds like restitution. That sounds like us dealing with our past and, and facing yes, our past sins it bravely. Is. It, is. Uh, it sounds righteous and humble it and is. just, and maybe even, if you're not thinking very hard, biblical. Well, it is biblical. But when you look at the calculation, <laughs> It doesn't work out. Number one, no one alive today in America is or has ever been a slave or has owned a slave in the sense that we're talking about in this context. I'm not talking about sex slavery, which is still very much alive today. Unfortunately, I'm talking about the kind of slavery that we had over 200 years ago. So it is (laughs) impossible to say if you're talking about reparations, white or black, who was actually affected by it. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we could put men on the moon, but can't figure that out within a, a relative certain degree. Come on. Also, may I also mention that, yes, of course there is no person in America who is currently enslaving someone like how they did 200 years ago. However, the effects of slavery have still affected millions of black Americans today via uh, not being able to able to own land, not be, being able to own their own property, not being able to build their own wealth, not to mention all the other big hits by white mobs like the uh the Tulsa massacre and so on and so forth that have kept people, black Americans from having or being able to accrue their own wealth. Wealth takes time to build. It's usually passed down through generation to generation. Well, when that generation is cut because either they're in prison or they're enslaved or they're dead, that does have ripple effects to the here and now.
0: Uh, People who advocate for racial reparation say, well, white people should pay via the government uh, black people for slavery. Well, not all black people in America today uh, had ancestors who were here 200 years ago. And same goes uh, for white people living in America today. Also, there were black people who owned slaves. So what about them? There were Native Americans who owned slaves. So what about them? What about half black people? What about people who are one-fourth black? What about them? Do they get reparations? Uh, what about black people who are rich? So should a middle-class family who's struggling to put food on the table, should they be pe- paying uh, reparations <laughs> to Barack Obama and oh to God. Jay-Z and to Kanye West just because they're black? Like
1: Having these questions are not... That's not a valid reason to disqualify the issue of reparations. We can figure all that out. We can do that. We, again, we, we've put human beings on the moon, okay? We have a rover on Mars right now. We can figure these questions out, Allie. They're not like impossible questions like, oh, never thought about that before. How would we, how would we possibly navigate these crazy hard questions? We would just figure it out.
0: Is that justice? There are really no answers to these things because the calculation doesn't work because it it is cosmic justice. It sounds good. It sounds like you're advocating for the oppressed, but you're not. There is no way to tell who has really been affected. So this is not based on truth. It doesn't meet the bar for biblical justice because of that. Wait,
1: wait, wait, wait. We haven't talked about about one Bible verse yet, and now we just swing— and throw the language of biblical justice after what you've been espousing is conservative policies. You've been esp- essentially espousing a conservative political worldview. And then you just sneak in the, world, the words biblical justice like somehow they're one of the same. They are not one of the same. And you have not yet defined biblical justice.
0: Uh, that is the problem of basing our idea of justice and fairness uh, not on what is true or what is real or what is tangible or actual or logical or direct, but on what feels good. Uh, so let's bring this back to Christianity <sighs> because okay. I know it seems like we took a little detour, but we needed to explain that because... So often the religious left monopolize this idea of equality and justice, and they put these definitions on justice that aren't actually biblical. Uh, So I want to bring it back. Biblical justice, Uh as we've talked about, is not based on what feels good, which is by nature biased, but what is good, which is by nature unbiased.
1: So again, now Alice in the corner. What she's claiming is what she's about to tell you, her interpretation of the Bible is not biased, and a liberal's perspective is biased. I hope you can hear the problem with, 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 with that idea.
0: Uh, here's how Leviticus 1915 defines uh, one form of injustice.
1: For the record, now we're pulling from the Torah, okay, a, a, a command or teaching set or set of laws given to a people that is not America. And we're going to apply that to what the Bible says is justice, I guess, for our time
0: you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. So you do not show partiality to the poor. You don't show deference to the rich, but in righteousness, we judge our neighbor in a court. Uh, Righteousness means honesty, integrity, uh, equity, truth. Uh, We can deduce from this verse that Showing partiality to the poor then, or deferring to the powerful, is unrighteous, according to God's word. And that showing impartiality or being unbiased is righteous and is therefore just. That's what this verse tells us in this. Okay,
1: I say this a lot. I am not a big fan of plucking out Bible verses and applying them to our current context with no cultural or historical, you know, context happening. But let's just play this game. You know, I would... Right, I mean, I think I would agree. Like in court, the truth should be the truth. In an American court, we know that is not the case. Like we know we have data on this that Black Americans have been given harsher prison sentences than White Americans when it comes to drug crimes. We have seen the rich and powerful get get off with very little punishment based on who they know compared to someone who can't afford as good of a defense. Like we know that. So I agree, Ali, to a, a, a certain extent. Let's not pretend that somehow America is living up to that ideal.
0: Is not a decontextualized verse. Uh, if okay. you are impartial or unbiased, that means you are objective. Objectivity means weighing the facts at hand, looking at the evidence and deciding a verdict based on that.
1: Right. So when I give you the fact that, you know, multi or that transnational corporations are avoiding taxes and suppressing the wage and and therefore it's hurting people. That's a fact. But I guess in your view, that's just me being biased and using my feelings to. I don't know, like trying to destroy America. I just I don't know.
0: Uh James too talks about not showing preference to the rich person in favor of dishonoring the poor, uh, which is confirmation of that Leviticus verse, one part of the Leviticus verse.
1: Is that does that include wages as well? Does that include like their work ethic? Does that include how the rich might abuse the poor for you know, a cheap labor while they profit? Again, and now also, just catch this, friends. We're really like all over the Bible here, just picking out verses.
0: And then James goes on to say in verses 8 through 9 in James 2, If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Uh, There is a reason. The personification of justice, Lady Justice, uh, is blindfolded. Uh, She has a scale in her hand, but she cannot see. This is a very uh, biblical depiction of what it means to judge righteously. She is not showing favoritism based on appearance, based on demographic, based on socioeconomic status. She is blind to these things.
1: But she does. She judges based off those things. Again, we have the evidence. She does. Keep that in mind.
0: Said she is weighing the facts on a scale. So even though today's brand of social justice uh, looks through the lens of intersectionality, the lens of which group is traditionally more oppressed than the other group based on their skin color, religion, or whatever it is.
1: Right, right. Because, okay, so friends, catch that. Allie, what you're saying is, justice should be blind and what people are saying is hey we're finding out that based on certain factors color of your skin gender um um um, wealth status uh, of access to wealth and other other means of privilege you're not treated actually as fairly in the courts as what that ideal is of being blind and so we should fix that so a lot of us are just trying to say Yes, it should be blind, but it's not. So can we please fix things to live up to that ideal and stop really um, favoring an elite group over um, a more, I don't know, a press group or a poor group? However you want to label it. But the, the, the disparity is there. Like, again, we have the data. It is there.
0: Biblical justice. Biblical justice is different. It looks at things based on the facts of the case, based on truth. Uh
1: I'm not sure how that's different. If we have evidence that the war on drugs targeted black men more than white men by giving crack cocaine sentences a harsher sentence, or I should say crack cocaine um, offenses a harsher sentence, while they gave powder cocaine offenses a lighter sentence, that is a fact that the government was discriminating against a people group based on their skin color. So... What do you want to do with that? I mean, that's data.
0: That is one meaning of the word justice uh, that we see in the Bible, justice in dealing with crime and punishment. The Hebrew word for that, I'm totally going to botch this, is is mishpat, m-i-s-h-p-a. I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce my Hebrew very well. And it uh, occurs in various forms over 200 times in the Hebrew Old Testament. Uh, Its most basic meaning is to treat people equitably. It means acquitting or punishing every person on the merits of the case, uh, regardless of race and regardless of social status. Uh, Anyone who does the same wrong should be given the same penalty. Um, But there is another kind of justice included uh, in this term in the Old Testament that means giving people their due. So recognizing people's rights, uh, the things that they are actually entitled to as human beings made in the image of God, showing them the care and the dignity that they deserve.
1: I mean, the Torah says that every seven years, all debts should be erased. Do you want to? I mean, I'm all, I'm totally cool advocating for that. If you want to go down that route, I'm just making the point that the Torah says a lot of things, and anyone can pick and choose whatever they want to make a narrative of. Oh, this is biblical justice. I think that that's a very dangerous road to go down. Once you start picking certain verses to make your point.
0: Um, justice used to punish wrongdoing and justice used to recognize people's rights should be true for both the government and for us as individuals. Uh, we treat everyone with the same honor, with the same respect, no matter how important in the eyes of the world they are. Uh, this is something that we believe the government should do and that we should do. Sure. So, where but this we is not happening in the government, that is where Christians have traditionally and should speak up. Uh, when we recognize, the government is violating human rights by treating them with partiality or cruelty and that means that the justice uh that means that uh justice is not being executed in the way that we believe that it should be righteously and biblically that is where uh we stand up and that is very often that very often means that some of the issues that christians stand up for are bipartisan
1: okay let me just—Ali, I know it sounds nice to make it seem like Christians historically have stood up against these injustices. The reality, though, is that most Christians throughout American history have actually been on the wrong side of these issues, whether it's race-based child slavery, whether it's segregation, whether it's um, the LGBTQ community and how we treated them. I mean, we can look throughout history—I don't want to take up too much time because we're already— you know, an hour into this, but there are people, Jerry Falwell, who fought against um, desegregation. You know, we have the receipts, as Jamar Tisby would say, of history. And unfortunately, the people who were pushing for abolition, who were Christians, were not looked um, highly upon by their Christian peers. It was a major problem. So, yeah, it sounds as nice to make it seem like Christians have, have predominantly been on the right side of, you know, of issues discriminating against entire people groups. The unfortunate reality is that Christians have been in bed with, um, with very harmful, evil, and heretical belief systems that have, um, have contributed to literally enslaving people, keeping people separate, and dehumanizing them. And we have to be able to recognize that.
0: Or that we stand against are bipartisan, that means, for example, that we care about abortion uh, both in a legal and a personal sense, so yes, we fight against legislation that strips the personhood from an unborn child, and personally, we help the mothers who are in crisis. We volunteer at Do pregnancy we? centers we don't
1: I just find it interesting here that you know we have data that I think it's like seventy percent of abortions that happen um happen because the mom is is feels like they cannot financially afford a child, which is terrible, it's terrible. But notice how this whole video has been about people's choices, and again, we don't wanna give out too much welfare, and we don't wanna discriminate against the rich, when again, Think about like if if what you say is true that you really care about life in the womb, right? And we know from the past fifty years that Republicans have done almost nothing legally to to repeal abortion on like a federal level, and uh, that's a different discussion for a different a, a different time. But my point is saying like is that if we know that 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 poverty is one of the biggest drivers of abortions, why aren't we pushing for more just systems that give single moms better access to health care, to food, to better wages, to child Care and, to, and to help get them out of these systems that keep them in poverty and keep them scared.
0: When we donate money. We help with the adoption process, whatever we need to do. Uh, that means, Besides yes, that welfare. we care about the children at the border. Now... This does not mean we have to be for open borders. In fact, in my view, caring for kids at the border means strong border policy. Mm. It means disincentivizing illegal crossings, making sure that both Border Patrol and ICE are being supported and held accountable, by the way. Of course, held accountable. But they're also being supported so that they can ensure justice is being executed towards bad actors, towards drug cartels, human traffickers, and also so these children that are crossing can be cared for well. it also means that we advocate for humane treatment for the children and their families. This again can be done through legislation. It can be done through our politicians ensuring these people are treated with dignity, dignity, and it can be done personally. There are organizations that give aid to people at the border. There are organizations who are on the ground in countries where these people are coming from, teaching these people skills for trade, sharing the gospel, teaching them leadership skills, and. All.
1: I'm not going to get into the immigration discussion. I, I don't really even know enough to really speak well to it, but I will say this. We know that Trump had people in cages. Biden, as of this recording, still has that issue going on. That should be bipartisan. Human beings should not be kept in cages. And I agree with Ali in the sense of, yes, we don't want drug cartels and human traffickers coming over any part of our border and any anywhere. Um, that being said, we obviously also know that cartels have made it very unsafe for children and moms and parents to live to the point where they will literally risk their life coming here illegally because of how broken our legal process is. And unfortunately, Allie, the person that you voted for, voted uh, and pushed for not making our borders more open in a safe way, meaning not reforming immigration to let the most vulnerable get over here as soon as possible, as safely as possible, but instead has done the opposite by closing off the borders and leaving people who are the most vulnerable out in places that are extremely dangerous.
0: Entrepreneurship. Uh, so real biblical justice in this case, in the case of immigration, just to kind of add, a not a caveat, but just a little aside here, does not simply mean that everyone who wants to come in comes in. That is not an example of justice, because again, this is a type of secular social justice here. that sounds good and compassionate. But the other side of the equation is that people are incentivized to cross illegally, putting children and especially girls who stand a very high chance of being raped and sexually assaulted when they're crossing the border at risk.
1: I don't really think I follow the logic of justice in open or closed borders, but OK.
0: Uh, it creates overflow for border patrols. So Humane, individualized, compassionate care uh, for those who are detained becomes impossible. It also means that there will be criminals who are allowed through, and the consequences of that, both on immigrant and non-immigrant communities in the United States is obviously detrimental.
1: just want to point out that statistically speaking, Immigrants who come over are at no higher risk to commit crimes than normal, than Americans who are here already. I'll put it that way. So it's not like, you know, like as Donald Trump says, that Mexico's sending their rapists over here. Uh, the data shows that, that it's pretty much crime is no higher or lower depend, you know, based on if they're coming from over the border or if they're already here in the States.
0: Not to mention, it means that we essentially no longer have borders, which means we're no longer a sovereign country, which means that this? we can no longer enforce our laws and protect our people.
1: I also want to point out, too, one last thing. I don't really know any Democrats that are saying, we should have no borders. We should have no process. People should just come here whenever they want. Maybe there are. I, I don't know. But I have yet to hear a politician who's a Democrat being like, I want all our borders gone, just a free-for-all. We obviously want a process to be able to filter out people who want to cause you know, ill um, it will, you know, and, and, and harm to people. At the same time, I mean, the Bible does talk a lot about how we treat the immigrant and the orphan and the widow. Uh, it tells us a lot about a country. Again, I don't want to overlay uh, Israel with uh, America, but since Al is already kind of going down that path, I just want to point that out.
0: So, justice in the case of kids at the border, we show compassion to them. We do what we can. We make sure that they are treated humanely. But does that, that does not mean that we don't have laws. That does not mean that we okay. don't have borders. So, as Christians, when it comes to not just this, but all things, we have to be thoughtful. Hmm. We cannot just choose the most emotional option. Now, sometimes it might be an emotional option um, in the sense that sometimes there might be emotion attached to it. But what's hmm. important is that we use truth, that we use logic, that we uh, use our discernment. We have to consider both sides of the equation. Uh, We have to consider what is true. We have to consider what is righteous. We have to be impartial.
1: I mean, I'm with you, but can we please be impartial about what I've been talking about this whole video, right? (laughs) A transnational corporation that oppresses the wage and really keeps people in poverty. I mean, shouldn't we be objective about that? That's a reality.
0: Uh, For the example of abortion, if we look at both sides of the equation, we say, okay, we've got an unborn child here. We've got maybe a teen mom who is poor and she's not ready to have a child. We look at both sides of the equation and we say, okay, this baby, if they are born, they could have a really hard life. This mom isn't ready to be a child. It's pretty easy to see who takes the cake in that side of the equation. It's either dismember the unborn child or the mom has a hard life. Okay, well...
1: why not both? Why not? We don't want the child dismembered. Also, we don't want the mom to have a hard life. And as a society, we should be just and compassionate and empathetic and loving, right? Like biblical terms here, and say, "Oh, this single mom—literally, our modern day of the our modern our modern day version of the widow." Okay, maybe we should do whatever we can to help this mom out financially uh, as a community. Right, so why this, why this dichotomy of well, guess your life is gonna suck, guess you have a hard life, instead of compassion, empathy, love, and grace?
0: I don't think that having a hard life, either for the child or the mom, justifies the taking of a physical life. And plus, of course, there are other options like adoption. And so we're thoughtful about those things. Doesn't mean that we forget about the mother. Doesn't mean that we don't take care well, of we the mother do, when right? she's in like need. It doesn't stinks. mean that we abandon her. Of course not. But it does mean that.
1: But you don't want any social programs to help out the single mother. So, like, what are you advocating for? The church? Do you want her to find a church where she'll be told, "Oh, well, you had a child out of wedlock. Like, you have to repent and become a Christian before we can help you," which is a real story that really happens, by the way. So, I, I don't know. Like, again, like, like, where's this single mom supposed to go? Who's, who is she supposed to turn to? Because you don't want welfare. You don't want the poor to be helped out. You think it's discrimination against the rich. So, like, where does someone like that go to get actual help? without being judged for being a single mom? Would love to know.
0: We weigh both sides, and we say, okay, the physical life of a child is always going to trump the non-physical aspects of this and the uh, non-life-threatening aspects of the uh, abortion issue so this also means that Christians care about justice this means that we care about what happens in the criminal justice system for example you probably know about the infamous uh, crack versus coke crackdown pun intended yes. there where those who uh had crack were given far harsher sentences than those yes. who possessed uh just cocaine now there's a lot to this story there's a lot of history here there's a lot of context here yeah, that we lot don't really have racism. an opportunity to get into word? right now there's but a lot crack of racism. uh was disproportionately possessed and sold by black people. There was no real reason for the distinction in sentencing between uh, crack and cocaine. And this is often seen as a liberal issue. This is often brought up as uh, as a liberal, I don't want to just say talking point because that sounds trivializing, but as a liberal point about how systemic racism has manifested itself in various ways throughout our history.
1: Yes, and also how conservatives still will not acknowledge how that policy that was driven by conservative policy was racist and majorly wrong.
0: But... This particular instance should not just be a liberal issue because this was not justice. As far as we can see, this was not justice to have this kind of disproportionate, disparate sentencing for crack versus cocaine.
1: Yes, it was racist. And that makes us ask the question, well, what could be happening right now that is, is the same thing? just apply differently? Like, is that racism still happening in different ways? And so the idea that somehow in like 30 years, we've just moved, moved past that, that can never happen again in 2021. twenty one—is crazy. And that's where you get the CRT studies. That's where you get, you know, intersectionality, people who are studying these things and looking for trends and patterns to see how racism still affects people today, not just back then.
0: Because that is not based on reality. That appears arbitrary. So Christians should not be for arbitrary applications of justice or arbitrary applications of sentencing. We should be for equal application of punishment for breaking the law. And it doesn't seem like that happened in that case. And so we should care about that. Uh, yeah. This means that we care about what happens uh, in our prisons. In April, yes. there was a report that absolutely broke my heart about a woman who had uh, special needs or who had... Uh, who had mental disabilities uh, in Broward County, Florida. She was in prison for drug charges. She went uh, to prison in March and they knew that she was very pregnant at the time. Uh, She went into labor in April and she was reportedly screaming out for help. She reportedly said that she was having contractions, that she was bleeding. And uh, the the police on guard said, oh yeah, we called the doctor, but the doctor didn't show up and the guards did not offer to help her. And so she was laying there writhing in pain, screaming. Anyone, I haven't given birth yet as I'm recording this podcast, but I can imagine how painful it is. Any of you who have given birth, especially any of you who have had any sort of traumatic births, uh, know how terrible this probably was. She had no help. She was forced to birth this baby on her own in what I guess was hours and hours of labor because labor typically lasts a long time. It's not typically like this 30-minute thing, and so maybe the guards didn't see. No, I'm sure she was screaming. Mm -hmm. I'm sure she was in a uh, terrible pain i'm sure she was absolutely miserable and she delivered this baby and only when a guard saw her with her newborn did they call the doctor and the doctor came in with the nurse to check if she was okay now we only have this side of the story but as far as we know from the facts of this case that is wrong that is wrong that is unjust
1: i agree and i just want to add that i don't care what the facts are if a pregnant woman gives birth like that, it's an injustice. It's a problem. And I agree, Ali. We should be looking at our prison system and why it's privatized and why mass incarceration rates have shot up over the past couple decades and why I think the current number is 40% of inmates are Black Americans, even though Black Americans represent 13% of the population. What's up with that, right? We should be looking at the trends and the systemic issues and seeing why is that a thing. And Newsflash, I don't think it's just because of you know um, a non-discriminatory practice i think that laws are tied to this locations tied to this over policing is tied to this and that's what i think so many people are trying to say is that you can't look at these things in a vacuum as like isolated they are all connected and once you start seeing the web that was spun it starts to become very very clear how disproportionate our society is set up to really privilege one group of people over the other And that's not liberal. That's just a reality that many of us are realizing more and more.
0: This was oppression. This is heartbreaking they could have offered help but because she was a criminal because she was poor because she was powerless because she didn't they probably didn't think this was ever going to get out they did not offer the help that they would have for other people that they would have wanted themselves uh this is wrong christians should want justice to be done here we should want accountability we should want someone to be punished for this
1: um percent agree here um you know when you start dehumanizing people right that's the problem as jesus people. We don't want to dehumanize people, Allie. I agree with you. And people are made in God's image whether a society deems them worthy or not. Whether America says that rich people should have extra privilege compared to poor people or, you know, um, you know, black people should be um, affected and discriminated against compared to white people, that makes none of the reality correct, which is that people are made in the God's image and have intrinsic, intrinsic worth, right? So I agree with you there. And that is exactly why I hold so many, so many of the views that I hold because I'm looking at our society and saying, wait, but— discrimination is happening, but there is a huge wealth gap, but the way women are are treated compared to men is, is not equitable. Women are not making the same amount of money for the same jobs, relatively speaking, as men. That's a problem, and so on and so forth.
0: There is an internal investigation going on right now and that should make us glad and we should be praying that justice is served here. We should be praying for the people in our prisons. There is no excuse for that unless there is some big part of the story that we just don't know. There's no excuse for that. Her life matters to us. Her baby's life matters to us. And she should be treated with dignity and respect just like anyone else. Um, The reality that every person, every single person on earth no matter how young no matter how old no matter how capable no matter how disabled no matter how rich no matter how poor everyone is made in the image of god that gives us a desire for justice yep. mm-hmm. for people to be treated fairly sure the reality that god is a righteous god and hates evil gives us his children his saints his chosen ones his co-laborers a desire for justice yep. we care about the weak we care about the oppressed right. this right? is precisely why like Christians like, like Wilberforce it. led the way for the abolition of slavery this is precisely why Christians like Bonhoeffer and Coryton Tin Boom resisted the Nazis this is precisely why Christians fought against Jim Crow that is precisely why Christians <laughs> fight uh- against
1: uh, okay, I mean the Jim Crow thing, maybe some, but again, they were not seen as like the people on the right side of history. Just want to point that out.
0: Abortion and any Christian, any Christian who advocates for, um, or so-called Christian advocates for some form of oppression in the name of the Bible, saying that the Bible justifies whatever oppression they're advocating for is wrong. And so you'll often hear the argument: Well, Christians uh, used the Bible to justify slavery to justify yes. segregation to they justify did. whatever kind of injustice well those christians those so-called christians those churchgoers were wrong
1: why why they used the bible how you're using it they picked out their verses they called the biblical truth they called it objective they called it real and they said this this is god's word you know paul says slaves obey your masters there you go so why why are they wrong now Why? I mean, that's what I fail to see, like how you can stand on saying this is wrong when I believe, Ali, you yourself are using the Bible in very similar ways. You're picking out your verses, saying why biblical justice is not social justice. Again, I still don't know exactly what that means because we've been so all over the place in this conversation. Uh, And the verses you picked out are maybe like a handful that have not really disproven the claim and I find it interesting that you're saying how oppression anywhere is wrong but you have no problem with with big business oppressing a working class and you might say well that sounds like Marxism call it whatever you want all I'm trying to tell you is that when people are working 40 hours a week and companies are profiting not just a little bit, they're profiting immense money off of them, and the company has the money to pay their employees a livable wage in America, and they don't, that is an injustice. That is oppression. That is not ethical. So I agree with a lot of what you had to say about things that we should be fighting against or or advocating for as Jesus people. I I do. But to me, you don't go far enough you don't go far enough in this conversation. I think that we have to expand what that looks like. We have to look at the societal issues that are both systemic and individual and say, as Jesus people, how do we push for the flourishing of all humans because they are all equally made in the image of God? You know, bottom line is that fallen people create fallen systems. So it's not crazy for us to look and say, Well, you know, maybe this system that we've created is actually not perfect and can use reform. That is is a very biblical idea." I'm going to stop this video here because Ali starts to kind of go down some more theological stuff that, honestly, for sake of time, I don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole because I want to be sensitive of our, I think it's an hour and a half now we're in. But I wanted to at least give the bulk of this my thoughts. So I hope you all enjoyed this episode. Of course, don't forget, if you like it, you can give us a rating and a review. That would be great. Ali, if you watched this whole video thank you. And I would love to talk to you in person at any time. My platform is open or I can come on yours, whatever you prefer. would love to talk to you at some point. All right, everyone, have a great night.
0: For whatever reason, there's always been a stigma around mental health in our communities. Some people say that talking about your feelings makes you weak, but you know what? It doesn't make you weak. It makes you human. No matter what you're struggling with, you can call or text 988-LIFELINE to connect with a trained crisis counselor and get the resources and support you need. No judgment, no stigma, just hope. Text or call 988-SUICIDE-AND-CRISIS-LIFELINE day or night. 988-HOPE has a new number.